Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. In our special Mother's Day edition of Beyond the Bump, we chat to three mums who have given birth during this pandemic. We wanted to get some insight into the emotions around being heavily pregnant during such an unsettling time, any changes to their birth or hospitalisation, and how it feels having a newborn during isolation. First up, we speak to Rebecca Burrows a now mother of two who lives in WA. Then we chat to Lizzie, an Aussie first-time mum living in New York. And finally, we speak with Emmy Van Dyke, a doctor who was previously working in the emergency department before going on maternity leave to give birth to her second child. Hi, Beck. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you going? Hello, guys. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who's in your family, what's going on in your life? Sure. My name is Beck. I am originally from the East Coast from um, Wollongong, a little town just south of Sydney, but now I live in WA. Um, so I've just had a newborn. Her name is Robbie Lou, a little girl. Um, she came to us two, day, two weeks and one day ago. Aww. And I can still count. Go me. <laughs> You're doing very well. <laughs> and then you have another beautiful daughter, Bella. How old's she? She's four and a half now, and I'm so thrilled for our family that we have the age gap. Yep. It really works for some people, really doesn't for others. I was definitely out of my newborn phase and felt like I was having a child for the first time again, which was kind of cool in a way to me, but without having the, oh, my gosh, I'm petrified. Am I going to break this child? It was kind of like riding a bike again but still relearning things, yeah. which was really cool. I loved that. Now, we wanted to chat to you today because you've obviously had this bub during a pretty weird time in the world and we have lots of listeners that are pregnant now or have newborns themselves or are just interested in what it's like to have a baby during a pandemic, like it's a first for our lifetime. So how did it feel being heavily pregnant while this was all going on? I think I went through like every emotion that you could possibly go through and day, some days I'd wake up and I'd be totally fine with it and I liked being at home and I kind of felt safe in my bubble in a way. Like it felt good kind of just knowing it was out there and just staying at home with our family and it was really good to have that family time before Robbie came along to have no distractions and literally just hang out with each other. And then other days I'd wake up and I'd just have this complete overwhelming anxiety and it's weird because you feel like you've got extra time because you don't have all these a million things to do but then it's like there's more laundry to do or there's no daycares or schooling or anything so you've got more tasks but less at the same yeah, time yeah I totally and agree I would literally that. sit at home like reading internet things and just sending myself into a spin and just going into a vortex and being down here we're in a quite regional area so it's we're pretty lucky here like the beaches are still pretty quiet we can get out like 
every now and then and go for a walk on the beach and get some fresh air, which I just feel so lucky for. It definitely like makes it easier to have your kids at home for the rest of the day. Like it's such a weird time for them because they don't understand what's going on and they're at home and they miss, they're already like socially missing their friends. They're missing school. They're missing so much. So to take nature away from them as well, if you can possibly go and just have a little bit of it, like that little bit of it, I feel has made so much of a difference in our household, especially for Bella. Robbie's like, she doesn't, she's still potato shit, so she doesn't really do anything on earth. But for Bella, there's only so much of the day where I can pretend to be a princess or a dog or a, you know, like pretend you're this, pretend you're that. Mm. There's only so much of a day I can do that without losing my absolute marbles. Absolutely. So to get her out where she can just run and be free and be a kid again on the beach is just so nice. Well, it's been so hard for us to adapt and we actually understand what is going on. Like I I really feel for them because they they don't even know what's going on and how they know life has just been ripped out from underneath them. So I think that's really hard. Did you do anything as you came to the end of your pregnancy to get yourself you know, feeling positive and ready to give birth? Um, I definitely, that was when I had most anxieties right towards the end. I came early, I came two days early with Bella, so I didn't quite make it to my due date. And I feel like I got really in my head about that because everyone was like, second kid will come earlier. Like the second birth's going to be easier. And I just wish I'd never got that in my head because I think it worked against me a little bit in the end. I wasn't even really overdue with Robbie. Like I think my due date was the Friday and we had her on the Tuesday. So I shouldn't have let that get in my head. But towards the end was I would wake up in the morning and I would just hate it. I would be so stressed instantly from the the moment I got up. And I was just stressed about, I was really concerned. This was my worst concern that we were going to go into the hospital and for some unknown reason, even though we weren't sick, we were going to like cough or do something weird and they were going to take the baby off us and quarantine us. I just got in my head that would happen. And like to make Taj get the mail when he got home, I was like, quarantine yourself and like spread yourself down with every oil and sanitizer and go have a shower and do this. Like I was like a crazy person. Cause I was like, even if you don't necessarily get COVID-19 or like, you know, when you're trying not to cough and you mm. think about it so much that you just get a dry throat and you cough, I was really petrified that that was going to happen and they were going to take her away from us and not let her, like, have that those moments. I was scared I was going to miss those first moments of her life. I downloaded all these self-meditation apps and I, did, I actually did, one of my girlfriends did a birth coaching course and she guided me through so much just while she was learning. I downloaded a hypnobirthing audiobook because I didn't have the time with a toddler to read it on my own. But I would like when I was going on walks or not in the car because it literally puts you to sleep in the car because it's so calming. When I was like sitting around and Bella was colouring in, I would listen to them and I feel like that was my absolute saving grace in the leader and just I don't know I just did everything I like wrote down my gratitude diary and like all those sorts of things I think you just need to come back and like I had to get off social media if I looked at it too much it's just so everywhere and it's just so consuming that it just really overwhelms you and I just had to step away from that for a little bit but yeah it was hard at the end it was definitely really 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 difficult at the end and then because all my friends were at home isolating and I was isolating. 
you've just got you literally it's like you're stuck in a glass case of emotion with all your thoughts you mm. can't even distract yourself and my friends couldn't distract themselves so they were trying not to message me and you know how people message you at the end and they're like how are you yeah and I'm like I know that message means are you in labor have you had a baby yet yeah. and like eat it because I can't listen to that right now no nah. <laughs> and if you don't write back within three minutes they'll be like oh I messaged her but she didn't write back so she's definitely <laughs> in labor yeah Totally. How was the hospital experience? Do you know what? Down here, uh, the hospital that I had, I had both the girls in, is like, I can't speak more highly of it. It's so amazing. Every midwife, I mean, every midwife in general is just like the best human that's ever existed. <laughs> They're like on a pedestal in my life, midwives. It's like humans, midwives. <laughs> and But down here, the hospital's so mellow. It was actually... The lead-up was really, like, I had a lot of anxiety in the lead-up and thinking about what could happen. But once we got to the hospital, it was nicer than it had ever been. It was so quiet, so mellow. We're really lucky down here. We haven't had any confirmed cases. So, but it felt, you almost felt safer there. Like, the safest place was the hospital probably because they were so overcautious with everything. I felt safer at the hospital than I felt with my husband going to Coles. And probably because you had this, you know, big thought process in your head thinking, oh, my God, what's it going to be like? And when you got there and saw, oh, it's actually not so bad, you probably, your anxiety eased a little and you went, oh, okay, this is actually good. It's okay. Yeah, 100%. Like we don't don't watch the news at all, but, like, everyone was posting it. You see people walking around in those, like, crazy suits. And that's what I imagine the hospital to be like. I imagine there to be like sheets on the walls and like all this crazy stuff. Totally. And because you can't go into the hospital for appointments and know that it's not like that, that's just what you assume it's going to be like for some reason. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And was there yeah. anything that you wanted to do that you weren't able to do because of the situation? No, the only thing that was different was we were only allowed one birthing partner. Yeah. Um, but I had only ever had, like, wanted just my husband there. I feel really sad for people that do have doulas or, yeah. you know, like, and I was considering getting a birth photographer there, which, but in the end I chose, I kind of forgot about it, which was lucky because I didn't have yeah. my heart set on it. But, you know, like little things like that that, are just taken away which means so much to people mm. um yeah I think it's really sad and yeah, totally. people in different countries like I've got a girlfriend who's pregnant with her first kid she's from Australia originally but her husband's American and she now lives in LA and the stuff that she tells me is just it's really heartbreaking she's about to have a first child and they're like a you can't have anyone in the room not one person not even that. a husband at the moment and b you might give birth on a ship like they've got these HMAS crazy ships that are oh. literally parked there for overflow. I vomit enough just... in labour. I do not need seasickness on top of that. <laughs> I, yeah, no. That is honestly my I worst nightmare. I, I think know, I, I would choose to have like, it at home over on a ship. Here are your options. Do you want to give birth in the ocean or at <laughs> home? It's like. That's not the water birth I was envisaging. People. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So tell us a bit about your birth. The bit that shocked me the most is because with Bella, I had this like crazy dream birth. It was three hours in the hospital. 
and then I pushed for like 45 minutes and she was I had a water birth at the hospital because I've got tubs in the labor rooms there which is so nice and everyone was like you know oh that you're so lucky the second child's even easier and I had this fear that I was literally going to give birth in the car it's going to be so quick wrong (laughs) it was like 12 hours of torture I went to hospital because I had Braxton Hicks for 27 weeks so you know how everyone's like you know you know when labor comes but until you actually get to it you like think every feeling that you've ever had is the real labor so and because I was sitting at home in my own thoughts I was like every time I'd feel some sort of movement or anything which was so often I was like this is it this is it it's happening it's gonna happen we I think I was like five days overdue from that silly date as I said before and I was like it was Tuesday oh Monday afternoon and I felt something and I was like you know what, I think this is really it. And we had a plan that Bella was going to go to her grandma's and grandpa's house, which is just around the corner from us, so lucky. And I kind of felt something and I was like, you know what, Taj, maybe he said I'm going to take her to their house just for an hour or so so you can chill out. And if it dies down, I'll just leave her there for a sleepover. But if anything, we just get an idol. And I was like, that sounds perfect. And then they started progressing. But my contractions kept going like half an hour in between. And 15 minutes in between and 25 minutes and they kept jumping around and I was like what is this because it was so different from what I experienced for the first time like you assume you're going to know everything because you've had a baby before but they're so different absolutely you still don't know it got down to eight minutes I think and because we were so worried that we were going to have a baby in the car Taj was like we're going to the hospital now okay I'm not going to argue with you and we went to the hospital it was 10 o'clock at night um and I had a couple more contractions on the way to hospital, which is half an hour. And then we got there and they were like, look, it doesn't feel like you're in active labor right now, but because the hospital's so quiet, you can either stay here because we think it's going to happen soon, even though it's not now, or you can go home for an hour and then come back. And because the drive is half an hour, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to drive at 10 p.m. at night. No. I'll just stay here. My contractions went all through the night which was different to the first time because I went to the hospital in the morning with Bella. But, yeah, that was really hard because we would, like, try and doze off to sleep and then I was having a contraction every five minutes and I had these contractions that were getting so gnarly and I was just, like, a swear I was, like, thought I was this beautiful earth mother with my hypnobirthing and I would, like, breathe for half the contraction and then be like, ah, <laughs> like, for the second half. that's balance Um, and then yeah they were just getting so hard and so close but I could not feel her dropping down and then they did a stretch and sweep and she's like don't know how to tell you this but you're about three four centimeters dilated this is after 11 hours of contractions and I was just like no please no like where do we go from here and she said, look, all I feel is a water, watery membrane above. There's just so much liquid. She said, we can go in and break your waters, and then, but it's going to happen really strong and really fast after. And I was like, please just do it because yeah. it felt pointless. She was posterior and uh, so my contractions were trying to turn her around and it wasn't happening. Every time I got in the bath, I was so relaxed that my contractions would back off. And then the midwife was like, you're going to have to get out of the bath if you want it to progress, and I just looked at her like she was the devil. I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm so happy in my little bubble. Please don't make me get out. But it wasn't going anywhere. So I got on the bed. They broke my waters, and Taj just said, I heard it, 
it was like a flood. Mm. Like I had so much liquid in my belly. And he said my belly just went down like a deflated balloon by like half when they broke my waters. It was insane. And then after that, it was like on, it was like 9 a.m. And then I hopped in the bath and then pushed for an hour. But I was literally staring at my midwife almost in tears, crying, saying, I can't do it. Like, I've got no energy left. I can't do it. I can't do it. And thank God for the midwife. She's like, look, I can tell you're a talkative person and you're putting too much into your voice right now. <laughs> Sorry for my life. And I, I, was shut yelling, up. I was just yelling at the heavens, like, somebody help me. I was, and I, spe- I vomited so much as well, which didn't happen the first time. I was like, yeah, it wasn't pretty. And she's like, just don't hold your breath, breathe through it, but just shut your mouth and take your energy away from your throat and send it to your butt. And then we just pushed her out and she was there. And I had this like beautiful water birth and yeah, then she was with us. And because of the COVID thing too, we, they said, if all the birth goes fine, you don't need stitches or anything like that. You have to be discharged after four hours in the home, which really suit me because I just wanted to get home and mm. I was so excited about Bella meeting her and we were actually like waiting. I think it, it's maybe a regulation that you have to wait until four hours to be yeah. discharged because you kept looking at the clock, but we were like waiting for the last hour. We're like, oh, my God, can we please, can we please Amazing. Come That's so um, good. So that really suited us and I felt, thank you, hormones, mm. pretty fine. Like it's yeah. crazy what a women's body can do. Oh, it's so sure. nuts to like walk out of the hospital four hours after mm. that massive cut. <laughs> that's, yeah, and that's what it is. How has it been not being able to have your family and friends visit? That's been really hard. My sister is over on the East Coast. I've got family over on the East Coast and she is, thank God for FaceTime, thank mm, God yeah. for Zoom meetings, thank God for all those apps that we have because we have been in contact via that, but it's not the same as having no. a newborn when it's your family. But it is what it is. It's like if you sit and dwell on it, it's not going to get you anywhere really. And it's easy for me to say because I'm the one at home holding the newborn and she's the one missing out on it. But she's been pretty positive. And I'm like, you know what? She honestly sleeps all day. And I wish I could bottle this newborn smell to send to you. Mm. But apart from that, I'm like, she's going to be able to like look at you and see you and, yeah, totally. you know, when she finally does get to come over here. So just hopefully everyone just does what we need to and we can eradicate it and then she can eventually come over soon anyway. And what are some things that you would recommend for people who can't visit to help you out or a, a mother that's just had a baby at home? I think just constantly checking in because it is so hard and as you guys would know, but there's like a fine line to <laughs> make a mother, like when you check in so much that you're like, do you think I can not look after my baby? Just, just that positive you know I'm here if you need anything and especially for first-time mothers like I feel really lucky that I'm a second-time mother right now because like without mother's group and stuff like that absolutely mother's group is is kind of like hard enough to go and meet new people for the first time doing that on FaceTime like it feels like a weird blind date it feels like one of those Netflix TV shows where you're like in a cube yeah yeah, I just admitted. I just admitted that I watched those bad movies. You've just binge watched that show, hey? I haven't seen it, but I think they're behind a wall, and I think there's. <laughs> and I think I'm highly emotionally but... invested in it. But totally, I could I couldn't agree more about if it was your 
first child because I got so much emotional support through. I was really lucky that I had quite a few friends that had babies at really similar times. And it's just so nice to catch up and just know the things that are happening are totally normal and the way you're feeling is totally normal. And I just think that's really difficult to recreate online. Exactly. Just just knowing that whatever is happening to you is happening to other people and having people to understand makes the absolute world of difference. Yeah. And how have you found the jump from one to two, especially with Bella not being able to go to daycare or kindy or wherever she normally goes? I was worried about it so much before, especially because Bella, she's four and a half, so she's literally been like the centre of our universe for four and a half years. She's one of those annoying kids that, like, people click and love her because she's so talkative and, like, she's so out there. Like, oh, my God. That's why – that was honestly one of the reasons why we had a second child because I was like, she's going to get some crazy, like, Macaulay Culkin syndrome if we don't get another child to bring her back <laughs> She down needs to be brought down bit. to earth. She's going to shave her head like Brittany when she's eight. You know, in this situation. <laughs> so, yeah. I was kind of worried how she was going to take it because you can't, it's one of those things that you can't explain to a child. No. You know, you're like, big sister's going to be really hard. You're going to have to help a lot. You're going to have to be really patient. And it's something that you can't teach until that actually happens. And it, it really hit her when Robbie came because it was like, whoa, my mum my mom spends a whole day feeding this kid, yeah. putting it to sleep and doting on her. And then I was so tired. I remember one time I was like, I'm just going to put Robbie down. I need to spend some proper time with Bella right now. And I went downstairs on the couch and we were playing and then we started watching a movie and I fell asleep and I felt <laughs> so bad. I was like, this is my Bella time and I literally just fell asleep and she was probably poking me like, oh, mom, we said we we're going to have a special time. But she's taking it, taking it on board so well. I'm so proud of her. If she would just stop, like, tackling her sister and kneeing her in the head. In her oh, the knees. Skull. I know the knees. I'll never forget the time that Mia had all her Cabbage Patch dolls and piled them on top of Billy and she was a week old and all you could see, I turned around for a second, all you could see was Billy's eyes and they were just piled on top of her. I'm like, okay, she can see them. She can see the dolls. So cute. Well, thank you so much, Beck, for coming on and telling us your little pandemic story and we're so happy to hear she had a safe arrival oh yeah i know and do you know what honestly it's the best time to have a newborn right now because you don't have like every martha from down the road trying to like kiss your baby or you don't have all these visitors and it's sad that you don't get to see all your friends but it's kind of nice just being in a bubble on your own totally i can literally i literally just stop and stare and sniff her all day like a freak and so you should no that's totally natural love it well thank you so much beck (laughs) it was so nice to chat with you pleasure have a good day ladies speak soon bye 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 darling Hi, Lizzie. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, all the way from New York City. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So good. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes. Mark and I, uh, my husband and my my pug Basil moved here from Sydney, Australia for Mark's job. We've been here for about two years. This is a whole nother story, but we actually started IVF when we got here. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Had, yeah, like we had quite a, a journey in infertility already 
And we moved here to kind of like get away from everything and sort of start fresh. Mm. And it took us two years, oh, about a year, a year and like three months to get pregnant. And, you know, New, York, New York's been heaps of fun and definitely a very, very different place to home. Culturally, very, very different. Got pregnant, had a bit of a rough pregnancy. I actually started listening to your podcast when I was pregnant, just listening to all of the sickness, like the morning sickness and everything that you guys had. <laughs> You're looking at it. I had the same thing. <laughs> I remember I was so excited to give birth. I was just like ready to, to have a baby, like ready to just be done with being pregnant. I was just like, I, I'm not one of those people, even though it took me such a long time to get here. I'm not one of those people that wants to be pregnant. I don't like look at myself and think, wow, hmm. so glowing, lovely, pregnant. I'm just like, give me the baby, get it out. Like, let's go. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I went into labor and, um, yeah, that's when the pandemic hit in New York. So, so, so how long, how old is your baby now? Sorry. He's going to be seven weeks on Wednesday. So tomorrow. Wow. Um, was, was everything locked down at this stage? So no, things weren't locked down, but there had been like a couple of confirmed cases and it was spreading fast. And I actually spiked a fever in my labor, which went for 30 hours. Nice <laughs> and, and they quick. were like, and they jumped on it and they were like, have you been out of the country uh, in the last 30 days? You know, because obviously they'd been told that, you know, start testing and start doing what you can to slow the spread. And I was like, no. And they're like, have you had the flu shot? And I was like, no. And and, and they ended up giving me the, the test. So they shoved the, the swab down my nose, down the back of my throat. And I remember, I mean, I don't really remember too much of my labor because I was so high on so many drugs. <laughs> but they, um, I remember thinking to myself, can I swear? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's encouraged. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, fuck, what am I going to do if I've got coronavirus? Like this, I thought this was just in Asia. I know that sounds so ignorant but like for a while there we just kept hearing about it mm. in Asia anyway and yeah and I remember that that like it took half a day to come back those test results and I was like fuck what am I gonna do <laughs> but it came back negative so good and so when you were heavily pregnant was there much fear around it or at that stage it, it, it wasn't too much of an issue where you are no, not too. It, I it wasn't too much of an issue. Although we are in Brooklyn, so like we are in the thick of it. Like mm. Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx is like where it's the worst. No, it wasn't a thing. Just it, it wasn't too much of a thing. It was a little bit of a thing. Yeah, if that makes sense. And did you have um, to change any? Like you know, other than spiking the fever, did you have to? Like your partner was still allowed at the birth. Yeah, just like that. That rule came out a week after. And, you know, imagine, imagine all those women that it's their first first time giving birth and they they can't have anyone in there to support them and it's no. such a vulnerable, vulnerable oh, time. I, I couldn't imagine not. No, it's awful. It, when I heard that, I was just like, oh, my God, and these people that are passing the, the, the rule, they're, they're men and they, they don't know what it's like. Like, yeah. you know, they've given birth before. Like, And what sort of blows my mind is that... The, pe- the like your support partner, you're going to be with him at home or her anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. why yeah. why is yeah. that an issue? But anyway. I mean, they were just, 
I mean, the whole thing, like when, when we got home from the hospital, like, and all of this started to blow up, I remember thinking like just everything about it, like imagine like you're giving birth and there's nurses with masks on and like all the protective gear and like they're doing everything they possibly can to like not touch you or come anywhere near you Yeah, craziness. Yeah, it's already quite a foreign place as is mm. and then add all, you know, and we, we know we're doing them to protect every, everyone but I'm one of those, I, I think a lot of people when they're in labour they don't like to be touched but I'm one of those people that, you know, I had, I was holding onto my husband's hands I had my midwife you know pushing into my back like I I like yeah. that pressure when I'm in labor so I can't imagine feeling like oh that person doesn't want it's to touch right. me because they're 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 scared or and also you know, your husband or your your support partner is someone to encourage your positive mindset so yeah. if they're not there then this can throw you completely off and you know 100% Mm. So oh, and it, even the thought of them missing the birth of their own child is is really sad. Did like, you find did you find it difficult to get into that positive mindset while giving birth? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. I mean, my it was it, it was tra- the whole thing for me. It was traumatic, and then it ended in a, in a C section. So it was just. It, it was the whole thing was tough as, so, as it is and add that into it as well have a little bit of health anxiety at the best time so you know throw that in there yeah. as well in labor you know it's just kind of crazy yeah and had you um, planned to have you know a doula or a birth photographer or anything like that that wasn't yeah. able to come yeah so I I toyed with the idea when I was pregnant of having you know a doula with, for the birth and I, I toyed with it for so long and then I was like, okay, no, what I'm going to do, I think, from listening to so many people is I'm going to get a postpartum doula. I'm yep. gonna, you know, I've got some rec- good, good recommendations. That's where I'm going to need the most help, I think. Yep. You know, I've got Mark, my husband, for the birth. We don't really have much family or friends here. Like, we've got a couple of friends, but it's just not the same. It's no. Back mm. home. Um, but I, I knew, I just knew I was going to need that support after. And my, my, my doula came um, three times and then she wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. And I remember on the third time of her coming, she'd actually had to fly out the day before to like somewhere interstate for someone's wedding. And then she texted me and saying, Lizzie, I'm, I'm, I'm flying, I'm catching a plane. And this was when Corona was like big time. Like it, it, it was shutting down everything. It was like intense. She was like, so I totally understand if you don't want me to come. Meanwhile, I've just spent, you know, two grand on this doula. I actually ended up getting her to come that one more time. I was like, no, it's okay as long as you're being careful. I don't think I quite understood the gravity of the it. Extent of it. So, yeah, I, I ended up having to choose between getting help with breastfeeding or getting coronavirus. Then at that time, all I could think about was I needed the help with the breastfeeding. And I would just get coronavirus and I would deal with it because it wasn't it wasn't dangerous to babies. You weighed um, up you weighed up the pros and cons and you're like, I need to be shown how to breastfeed. Look, I'm glad you got shown how to breastfeed and I'm glad you didn't end up with coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so far. I, I literally think that I have coronavirus every day. You wake up and you have a tickle in your throat and you're like, This is it. And after having a cesarean, how long did you stay in hospital for? Yeah, I stayed. So he was born on the Wednesday. We went home on the Saturday. I didn't want to go home. I wanted, actually wanted to stay another night, but my husband was like, no, we're going. 
home now. And did that um, length of stay change at all because of precautions with corona? Yeah, they were definitely getting women out. They were they were trying to get women out, women in, women out, women in. I, I think they would have probably kept me around longer if, you know, if they saw that I yeah. needed it. I'm more, more mentally I just wanted to stay there. I was just like... Please help me. Forever. <laughs> Keep me here. <laughs> yeah. And how's it been having a baby in New York away from your family and friends? Has it in, in during this time, has it been really, mm. really tough mentally? Yeah. Yeah. More so just anxiety-wise. Like it's just been really, really anxiety-inducing. Like I must shove the thermometer up his butt every day. Just you know, check. I got I got his vaccinations early. You know, again, I weighed up the pros and the cons, and I was like, I don't want to have to take him to the because I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's the same in Australia. If they spike temp here, you have to, and it's before they have their vaccinations, you have to take him to the hospital, and they have to have like all of these things. So I was like, no, I'm getting them early. But it's been it's been very very anxiety inducing. I mean, the pros to also this is that you are at home having one-on-one time. I know that you can't do a lot of things outside that you would like to do. You know, just seeing you with your little man, you're you're yeah. in a safe in a safe environment, and he's all you True. need, and you're all he needs. True, and also my husband and I talk about this often. You know, we've, he's home. You know, he he's got a very demanding job, and he wouldn't be home, and it would be me on my own. I'd yeah. have the doula, but you know she only comes for she'd only be coming for a certain amount of time. So you know at least you know it's intense for Mark because he's got all mm. his meetings and a full day's work, and I'm also like here take the baby. Yeah. But um, it, there are pros to it as well, I guess. Yeah. And before all this happened, did you plan on having you know any of your friends or family fly over to meet yeah. him or yeah? Yeah, so Mark's family were, were booked to come. Um, they were coming. They were coming on the sixteenth of March, and they can't. They just my sister in law here. She just said, "I think she should cancel." Yeah, and um, it was the right thing to do. They're in their seventies. Like, oh yeah, they were to get it. God knows, but yeah, yeah, it was. So yeah, no one's met him. Literally, no one has met him. <laughs> It's so tough. Which is kind of sad, but we're moving home in like seven weeks. Oh, awesome. Yeah. What are some ways that people can help their friends or family with newborns if they can't physically be there to help? Yeah, I've thought about this. You know, just like reaching out and texting, like just, just saying like, hey, how's it going? How are you? What's happening? How's the baby? Send me photos. Just be interested. You're really limit. Honestly, really limited. Like there isn't really much you can do except for reach out. Yeah. One of my girlfriends the other day, she texted me and she said, "Hey, I really, really want to meet Jackson before you leave, but I know that it's not doable right now. So I was thinking maybe we could set up like a Zoom meeting and we'll just get everyone that we know to yeah. jump on and just meet him." And that was really sweet because she'd like thought about it, you know, she'd really thought it through. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to plan, I'd like to see how that works with you. So I guess just getting, just just having your loved ones and the people that you usually socialise with, if, if they can support you by showing that they care and, you know, checking in and wanting to do a FaceTime or a, a Zoom call. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. 
And I think if you're doing a mass Zoom call, get someone else to like be the organizer of it. I don't think that the person yes. with the newborn needs to be liaising with everyone about logistics right. too. Exactly. And that feels a bit weird. Hey, you want to meet my new baby? Like, let's jump on a Zoom call. That feels weird for me to do. So yeah. That was really, really nice. Yeah. And do you um, feel like in seven weeks it's going to be pretty likely that you will be able to fly uh, home? Yeah, so we're, because we're Australian, we're allowed back here, yeah, no yeah. worries. They're just not letting anyone that's not. And we just got his citizenship, Jackson's citizenship approved. We are going to have to do the quarantine, the two weeks quarantine, which won't be fun. But I also think that Australians seem to be really onto it um, and they're testing everyone at the airport. They're much more onto it than they are here. Thank you so much for taking the time out. And sorry we mucked up the, the time and days. Oh, all good, all good. <laughs> Take care. See you later. Take care too. Bye. Bye. Hello, Emmy, and welcome to this episode of Beyond the Bump. Thank you so much for joining us from your newborn bubble. That's okay. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you, Jay. Nice to meet you too, Emmy. Sophie, nice to see you. Nice to see you. I miss you. I know it's hard, isn't it? A big congratulations is in order for you. you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your new little member? Yeah, you'll have to remind me those three questions as we go because um, <laughs> I have a newborn baby. She's, I think, eight days old now, little Coco. She's just lying in my arms at the moment. So she's been a very good sleeper so far. Fingers crossed she'll stay asleep in my lap. But she's she's beautiful. And who else um, is in your family? So I've got a little boy called Alfie who's two next week and my husband, Nettie. And you might be able to hear them in the background now. They're about to head off to the park. But Alfie keeps telling me it's not the park. Mummy, it's the oval. So <laughs> it's actually amazing what um, they absorb. Alfie's been telling me. We, we drove to my mum's place the other day who we quarantined for two weeks before the baby came. And we were driving along and Alfie just says, I don't know where, pandemic, <laughs> slippery slides are broken. <laughs> Need new batteries. Like, yeah, sweetie, that's that's pretty much the best anyone I've ever heard sum up this situation. Yeah, that's about um, all I know about it too. Yeah, slippery slides are definitely broken, sweetie, and we can't fix them. And yeah, so he's um he's had a few big adjustments recently, obviously with all the little changes that you think, oh, they won't notice. They're just at home playing with their toys. It's nothing different, but he keeps talking about can't go to swimming lessons and kindy's closed and slippery slides are broken. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's got all that going on and then the new little sister arrives home as well, which he's been doing really well with. How did you feel being heavily pregnant with the pandemic going on? Well, I was 36 weeks pregnant when I stopped work and I'm currently work, was working at the in an emergency department in a big Gold Coast hospital where I'm doing emergency, I'm on the emergency medicine training program. And at that point in time, things hadn't really declared themselves in regards to where things were at with corona. And every meeting in the morning when we arrived would sort of be like, hey, this is where we're at this morning. These are the new rules for today. This is where our fever clinic will be. And things were, it was very much a a landscape of shifting sands on a daily, if not multiple times a day type basis. And at that time, I was just functioning normally, picking up and seeing all sorts of patients. I wasn't directly working in the fever clinic. We had enough personal protective equipment at that stage as well, but things were very much still in the early phases. I felt like as someone who was 36 weeks pregnant, I definitely uh, got out of work at the right time for me and 
the safety of my unborn baby and myself, I suppose. Were you but a doctor? Are you a doctor or a nurse? So I'm a doctor and I'm on the emergency medicine training program. So I'm training to be an emergency physician. Mm-hmm. I'm in the very early stages of that training. Yes, I was working as an ED doctor, but how did I feel being heavily pregnant during that time? Uh, to be honest, work was just a- as normal, but it wasn't really until I stopped work that it started to affect me more in terms of how I felt with the pregnancy. I think, you know, you're so busy at work and you've got to focus. When I stopped work and came home, I really forgot I was pregnant because, you know, the news was saturated with corona stuff. I wasn't leaving the house because I went into quite strict self-isolation myself. So the only thing that's filtering into your what you can make up of what reality is outside is the news, which is often a little bit sensationalised. Yeah. There's definitely some fear-mongering on there. So you're at home going, oh, my gosh, is, you know, do we have enough food in the cupboard? I had planned on doing the big nesting bake-down, which now I can't do because I don't want to go to the shops. But even if I do go to the shops, I'll look like that person who's yeah. buying all the flour. But I would have been doing that anyway. And it was it was – Probably more difficult after I stopped work and a week went by and it was just this corona focus week and at the end of the week I really realised that I, I had to stop and get myself into the headspace of, hang on, I'm pregnant, I'm about to have a baby, I really need to focus on that because it felt surreal. I looked yeah. down at my tummy and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I have to do this in a week and so I, I spent some dedicated time in the baby's room unpacking stuff and sort of you know making little piles of tiny clothes and all those things that were just important processes for me to actually sort of turn off the corona. I I can actually totally relate to that because having Goldie in January it was in the midst of when all the bushfires were going on and I found it I had to really consciously get into a positive mindset about having a baby because it was just a really weird time to be bringing like new life into this world you know everything was very you know there were people working together which was really positive but you know the way that our country was looking was extremely negative and I had to really go okay you have to stop putting energy into that and you have to focus on yourself and this baby otherwise yeah, because you, you do, you want to mentally prepare yourself to give birth and to have a newborn and it's really easy when things like this are happening to get kind of tied up in that. As a mother and a doctor, were you concerned about giving birth in a hospital with everything going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely still feel that the best place to have a baby is in hospital and it didn't at all cross my mind whether or not I was going to change my plans. I, I think, if anything, being a doctor at that time helped me to realise that, you know, I looked at the numbers and saw that community transmission and still is so there are just people in the general community giving it to each other how much virus is there out there in the community is very low we're so lucky in Queensland especially so knowing that and looking at the numbers and still getting my work emails and still checking you know the government websites every day I think it was able to allow me to be realistic about the the maths of it all which is the probability of getting it is extremely low in, in hospital where everyone coming in has is going through a fever check. The staff that you're seeing have good health literacy. They know if they're going to get a sore throat or a cough or a cold to, you know, do the right things. And that going me going to Woolworths is probably going to be a similar risk situation, if not yeah. more, mm. um, to me going into hospital and having my baby. And did it change my – I mean, I had great trust in my obstetrician as 
well. So I just let him direct my care and I asked at my last appointment, is it going to change anything? He said, uh, no, the only thing that it will change is visitors. So I was, he didn't know for sure at that time, of course, because it's changing all the time, but he said, unlikely that I would be able to have any visitors. The College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Australia and New Zealand has got a really great a resource for pregnant women on their website. It's just a really easy to digest page about common questions pregnant women might have and information about corona in pregnancy and that's updated all the time and And at the bottom of that article they've got some really great links to evidence-based reliable resources which is great so you know I checked back in on there and yeah so I had great trust in my obstetrician and my birthing experience didn't change at all I actually gave birth in the same room this time as as Alfie two years ago so walked into the room I was still able I had with was being induced and the induction went exactly the same. I was still able to use the shower, still able to use the tub. At the moment, the guidelines are that you can still use gas, the nitrous oxide, if you want to. I, I didn't I didn't use it myself. That's something that might change for people in their birthing experience just because using the gas and huffing and puffing may increase droplet spread. But at the moment, they're letting people use gas. Yeah, it all just went as it would have gone if corona wasn't around. I That's was really true. worried before giving birth though because the week that Coco was due was the week that it was supposed to be, if it was going to get bad, that was supposed to be the week that the ICU beds were overflowing and that, you know, we were maybe going to be in a similar situation to like New York. Thankfully, we're not in that situation at the moment. But I definitely had moments where I started to catastrophize and go, oh my gosh, if if ICU beds are full and elective surgery stops, what if I need an emergency Caesar and... You know, if, if I'm rushed to operating theatre but there's no staff there because and there's no anaesthetist available because there's, you know, 30 people in the car park in the temporary hospital, you know, you can you can really spiral. But it was at that time that I sort of went, you know what, I just need to focus on the numbers here and if I have a concern, chat to my obstetrician or make a midwife appointment and just kind of reel it in, are very easy to get carried away. Worst case possible for me, which would actually be getting corona myself, I had a term baby inside me that would have been delivered safely. So I think it's it's really difficult to talk about, even now in the things that I'm saying, when people listen to this might be, to, you know, totally different or the guidelines be different or the guidelines be different. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a very different journey for women in early pregnancy and I, I, I especially first-time mums in early pregnancy, I think they're really going to have to tap into their social networks online but also make a really big effort to set up mums groups on video chats because yeah. I've been doing that with Sophie and some other mums and you think oh yeah I could tune in I could dial in or what, or what you know it's not really seeing someone but it does feel like seeing people and you know you can see each other's babies and smiling faces and it's that that's been really good I've done that a couple of times and that's been wonderful and I think if I was a first-time mum as well having other first-time mums to bounce off or cry with or you know ask all those questions that confuse you in the early days would be um yeah, I would definitely be doing that. Even having Goldie and her being my second child, I have two ladies that I know. One of them I've only met once and the other lady I've actually never met before. And we started a group conversation because they were all born within a week of one another. And it was so nice when you were up at, say, three in the morning having a feed that you saw that they'd sent a little message at 2.15, even if they're not awake still, but, you know, a little message at 2.15 being like, hope your night's going well. You, just to know that someone else 
is actually awake and you're not the only person in the world that's sitting there in the dark on the couch or whatever. It was, it, I think those kind of things, yeah, as whether you're in a pandemic or not, are so nice. Oh, it's so nice and so important for, you know, uh, perinatal and antenatal mental health. And I think, you know, even to talk to you girls on here today, I had a shower, put a scrunchie in my hair, put a bit of lip gloss you on. You go, girl. And that's really important as yeah. well just to, you know, get up, dress up, show up. Feel and, good. you know, even if it's just to walk to the bottom of the driveway, get the mail or something, I think those little routines are yeah. going to be, um, yeah, soul savers for mums. I really got by with my first... Um, by getting out of the house and that's a lot of mums at that time were like oh my gosh getting out of the house is so stressful for me and for me it was a little goal each day and I remember the very first time I went out by myself I met up with Sophie and some others at a cafe and I was I so nervous <laughs> I was having trouble with the latch because I would have this torrential letdown which would saturate my boob which would mean that Alfie would just slip and slide all over my ulcerated nipple and like latch and unlatch and latch and unlatch and I would be in tears and agony and and he would feed every two to three hours so I knew that okay I've got to get him in the car get to the cafe do the social thing and then be able to feed him before I get home or get home before the first feed and I mean there are things I just don't even think about this time around I think I took the pram and I got in and everyone else had just either carried or taken a capsule and I was like oh gosh did I do the wrong thing and I had all this self-doubt which looking back just seems so silly but at the time you're you're it's you're stepping out into your new mum identity which you've never done before and it's a whole new you and you feel self-conscious and you don't know what you're doing and Anyway, that, that was really good for me, getting out. I saw the girls, saw everyone's faces. I was able to share a few little story, like wartime stories, basically. We'd all sit around and go, oh, gosh, well, you know, the trenches look like this for me. And, oh, okay, yeah, this is what's going on in my house. And I just remember leaving and getting in my car and getting into latch, sitting in the front of my car and successfully latching him feeding him and getting home and just feeling like it was the best thing. And I think every mother understands that day because, you know, you've got to, and even just the smallest thing, if you have like got them all dressed or you've done that one thing, you feel like you have literally nailed it. And I think being in isolation, if you are the mother of a newborn, you know, whether it is your first or your second, you almost need to create some little different things to tick off because obviously you aren't going to be going out so you know if it is you know I'm staying home today but my goal today is we're going to get up and we're all going to be dressed in actual clothes and I do think you tick things off and then you know when isolation's over then you can have you know whether that's three months six months down the track then you can tick off your okay we all went out and I was on my own with the two kids together and that's fine but I think that almost to build confidence in yourself as a mother you do need to have these little things to tick off. Um, can we talk a bit about your birth? So I had gestational diabetes this pregnancy which which was you know that's a story of its own but it was quite a shock to me when I got it and it changed my pregnancy only ever so slightly in that I needed some medication to to keep my blood sugars low. Is that injecting that. every day? Yeah, so at night I was injecting insulin and I I learned a lot about the disease doesn't discriminate. You can be someone who considers yourself very healthy, fit, 
in you know a healthy weight category even and um, it can get you <laughs> I was gonna say there's so it's it's there's so much stigma around it that you know like bigger women get it and that kind of thing and and I think it's so unfair because you know people might this is a podcast people might not be able to see you but you are a very slight human and you know you <laughs> live a healthy life and you guys eat well and all of that kind of thing and so as much as I shouldn't have been surprised when you got it because there is that bit of stigma I was um but yeah as you say it doesn't discriminate so anyway I I had gestational diabetes and that was part of this pregnancy which was new for me but as a part of that babies who are born to GDM which stands for gestational diabetes uh, mums can have the potential to be quite large babies so I had to have a few extra scans to make sure she was not too huge and then also was induced at I was induced at 38 plus 5. I'd been induced with Alfie as well but that was for post dates I'd gone over my dates and with him I just had some gel put up around my cervix and then my membranes ruptured a few hours oh sorry the morning afterwards but this time because it was my second time your uterus has a bit of a memory and so this time I went in had the gel the morning of and two hours later my membranes ruptured and yeah, an hour and 13 minutes later I gave birth which oh, was um, oh my goodness very uh, fast and and intense is probably the only word I can use to yes. describe it but I, I was all I want to say is I was so so lucky and I'm so grateful that the birth went well um, every part of it just went smoothly I think being a doctor and having just recently done an obstetric term as well you do get a skewed view of the probability of something going wrong and it happening to you we're often only called to situations where something's going wrong in a vaginal birth or where an emergency seizure is needed or where someone's having a postpartum hemorrhage where they're losing a lot of blood quickly after birth and you know you see those situations multiple times a day and you get home at the end of the day and you're 28 weeks pregnant which I was at the time thinking these things were going to happen to me so I just need to do a little bit of work with myself and remaining positive. If I'm, if I'm going to go for another vaginal birth, what I know is the best chance I've got of things going well is if I can go into this positively yeah. and be able to stay calm. And I kind of explain it to friends like a school cross-country race, you know, the night before, you know, you've got this cross-country race, you're so nervous, you're thinking about the what if I miss a starting gun, what if I go the wrong way, what if I roll my ankle. But when you get to that race on race day and the gun goes off, you, you're just running, you know, and you're just, you're just breathing and you're timing your breath with your steps and that's all you have space for in your mind. You're not at all thinking, am I going to roll my ankle around the next corner? That just doesn't even come into it because you're doing it. What a great and, way to... Uh, I could yeah, not agree more. That agree was more. perfectly said. And I think for first-time mothers to hear that, that is exactly the way your mind works. When you get into that mindset, that is it all goes out the window and you're just doing what you can do. It's almost like you enter this a bit of a meditation, isn't it? And the, the Ina May book that I read sort of talked about how you, you just have to get out of the way, meaning it's a birth is a brainstem event. It's something that it's a, you know, it's a bunch of reflexes and, and an activity of your uterus. You don't have to do anything. It definitely depends on the type of birth you have and being someone who can listen and cooperate when it comes to pushing or changing positions if needed or doing all the right things that are asked of you at the time when the baby's in the birth canal is definitely, you definitely need to do something then. But I mean more metaphorically, like you, you don't have to be thinking actively with your frontal lobe about what do I do now in yeah. birth. 
you just have to have to let you know your body do what it's going to do trust the health professionals around you who are going to guide you and um, keep you safe and I just focused on my breath and said the words to myself um, as I was having a contraction I would just say intense pressure intense pressure just reminding myself I don't want to say tricking my brain but just reframing the sensation for my yeah. brain to interpret as a pressure and a pain had some little affirmations very short sort of punchy ones because you don't have a lot of space in your mind to think analytically at that time. So, and as I felt the contraction coming on, I could feel I could handle it a lot better if I would do a few preparation breaths and think, okay, you can do this, Emmy, you're strong, this is just one day. And then the contraction would come on and I would do my breathing, which for me, I I didn't learn this, it just kind of happened, it would sound something like this. I would breathe in and then go, shh. Yeah, you'd um, find your own you know, pattern. Yeah, <laughs> kind of got a little rhythm going. At a certain point, the midwife said to me, I think I need you to hop out of the tub. In hindsight, she told me she just heard things were changing in my voice. And it was at that point when I got out of the tub, I just had that little voice slip in the back of my mind saying, you don't want to do this. <laughs> you, you, you definitely don't want to do this. And so I, I remember saying just quietly and calmly to Ned, I was like, this is the transition um, phase, isn't it? You and get you to this time, time. You forget, yeah, you, you, you're like, I can do it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and then you get to that moment where things are about to heat up and you're like, oh, I'm too tired, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And then everyone's like, no, 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 you, you can do this, but take a break, take, have a breath. And, and I'm in no way saying a cesarean is a cop-out, but I remember with both of them just wishing that someone would walk into the room and say, we're going to need to do a cesarean. But I remember both times in transition and both times I didn't realise I was about to transition because it did happen quite quickly. Or an epidural. I remember <laughs> thinking, that, yeah, the first time was either get me an epidural or cut this baby out of me because I am just done. And then with Goldie it was the same that I was just like, I cannot do this any longer. And I remember saying it to Nick and Nick was like, I heard this last time. Like, I think we're going to meet our baby soon. And I'm like, shaka, shaka, we're not going to. (laughs) I think it's almost an important part of um, the surrender moment. Mm. When And I've seen it happen to so many women. As they're transitioning, they go, they either become irrational and try and leave or they say, I don't do it. They burst into tears or they, you know, whatever it is. And you know that that is a great sign. It it means things are about to happen. And um, so when I said... I don't want to do it. Um, it was almost this realization for me at the same time, like, oh, hey, you just you just said that you're at that place. I think things are about to happen. You know how you mentioned um, the the book Ina May, the Guide to mm. Childbirth. I also had a a flick through that with same. my last birth, and I think a lot of people have. And I like that you both are doctors and you've you've opened that book up because it's a very different way of I guess getting your mind prepared for childbirth yeah I I agree totally and there is actually research out there studies done saying that if someone gave themselves positive affirmations before performing a task as simple as throwing a ball in a paper waste basket they perform better in the task versus if someone gave themselves a um you know a, a negative message before doing that and I think reading any birth book with a grain of salt before mm. giving birth. And what I did in the books that I read is I had an A4 bit of paper and a pen and I would just 
get out snippets that resonated with me or that I thought might be useful. Mm. And the best bit in Ina May's book for me really was all of the positive birth stories that were lovely to read. I think Sophie, you actually recommended that to me. Yeah. Um, and it, back to that uh, athletic analogy again, or, you know, sporting event analogy, it's what sports people do before a big game, you know, yeah. visualise positively what's going to happen, watch over games where they've done well before. So I think reading those books with a grain of salt, but also it's so important to remember that um, it's not just about you. It's about getting a baby out healthily. So you need to do all this preparation work with yourself mentally and psychologically, knowing full well that you have to stay flexible to for the course to change at any point and for you to trust the health professionals around you to get that baby out safely and and keep you safe. When, when they got me out of the tub, um, the midwife said, we, we'll need to walk over to the bed. And she said, I'm going to push the staff assist. I think she thought we were going to have a, a baby before the obstetrician could come back, so she, she called everyone in. But he was on his way down anyway, so he entered the room as everyone entered and then they sort of all just left again. So it was this sort of uh, everyone walking in, turning back around and walking I call out. it the meerkat moment. Everyone just like pops up out of the floor <laughs> and then they decide whether they're all going to disappear back into the floor or stay there. It's the meerkat moment. Oh, that's so true. That, that definitely happened. And I said to him as he walked and I said, I'm trying not to push but I really feel like I need to. And um, it was the first contraction where I'd had that sensation. So I had this amazing midwife who um, I debriefed with her afterwards and said, oh, how did you know I was changing it that bit and what did you hear and she said oh it's just in your voice just something changed and um, so I was really lucky to have her and all of her um, experience to make the right calls at the right time so yeah I felt pushy meaning if someone asked you to you felt like you needed to sneeze and someone said oh but you're not just don't just don't sneeze it's really hard not to or at the moment where people tell you not to touch your face in public and the minute you go out in public your (laughs) nose is like the itchiest thing ever and you're like oh, God, there's someone watching me, but my nose is so itchy. <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, roll over, I'll check you and we'll see if we're actually ready to push. And I do hear a little bit of doubt in his voice because he was thinking, look, I was here an hour ago and, you know, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of dilatation to happen in, in the space of an hour. But he said, we'll just check you and make sure that you're, you're ready to push. Checked me and said, yep, you're ready to push. And, and I was like, all right, well, here we go. I'll settle into this. We'll have a bit of pushing for a while, probably an hour. Um, get your popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> just get, can someone put another pillow behind my head here in the bed? And um, had a push. And he just sounded really, like, encouraging. And I was like, oh, that's he's, he's been super encouraging already. He's like, come on, come on, a bit, bit more. We're, we've almost got it. And I was like, what's he talking about? I said, what do you mean? Do you, do you mean like the head? And it must have sounded ridiculous because, of course, that's what we're pushing for. But for me, my mind was just trying to catch up. I was like, hang on, we just we were doing that labour bit, um, you know, contraction bit a minute ago. We're pushing. Let me catch up a, a second. And he said, no, 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 for the head, for the head. And I put my head down. And I'm not that flexible. Um, I did used to be a gymnast, but I can't quite reach. Um, did you have some ribs removed? <laughs> I was feeling limber. I put my hand down and I could feel that, you know, the, the scrunched head, which feels like if you had to scrunch up your kneecap and it goes all wrinkly, you know, like that. And I could feel, oh, my gosh, I see what's going on. We're, we're pushing the baby out. So I was, I was absorbed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm up I, to speed now. All right, let's thanks, go. Thanks for joining right. us, Emmy. <laughs> I get it. Are we birthing a child here? Yeah, it was it was 13 minutes later um, from when I started to need to push to when she came out. So it was all very quick and took me a while to kind of catch up mentally. But Ned um, turned my head towards him during the next contraction and kissed me. 
which is something I'd asked him to do from things I'd read. And that really helped just snap me out of this kind of like, oh, gosh, I'm going to. Um, and I was really lucky. I, I came out of the birth with a with, with no test, so I was super lucky. But um, the next push I said to him, is the head out? He said, the head's out. And then there was another little little moment where I know what happens next, and it's that the head restitutes, which means it turns on the side, and then with the next contraction, the anterior shoulder, the front shoulder comes out, and then one more push usually, and the, the baby's delivered, and the head's the biggest bit, so getting that bit out's the, the tricky part. Um, there's an obstetric emergency called a shoulder dystocia that's a very feared complication of birth, and it's when the baby gets stuck, when the head comes out, but it doesn't restitute or stops descending, and the shoulder... Um, can get stuck. I mean, women who have gestational diabetes, who have big babies or babies that have put on quite a lot of fat around their neck and shoulders, it's a complication that can happen. And it's the reason that you get induced a little bit early, one of the reasons. And so once that head was out, I, I was thinking to myself, I hope these shoulders come out. And in that moment, the midwife said, do you want me to flatten the bed? And I thought, oh gosh, this is, I know this is one of the things that we do when we are worried that the baby's not descending properly. And you know, time just stopped. I thought, oh gosh. And, but at that time, he said, the, the obstetrician said to the midwife, no, no, I've got my finger in the armpit. I thought, oh, okay, I know what that means. It means he's got a little hold on and he's about to pull it out. So he, he delivered the anterior shoulder. And at this point, I had my head back. I was closing my eyes and I was very much dissociated from the experience. And he said to me, Emmy, I want you to look down and pull out your baby. And I was in a sitting squat type position, leaning back on the bed, and I, I just looked down between my legs and um, this little head and shoulders were out and I reached down and um, held her from under her armpits and just pulled this baby out onto my, my stomach, which was, uh, you know, a surreal and amazing experience. But given how rapidly things had happened, it really helped me um, you know, I think if I hadn't done that, if he lifted the baby out onto my chest and I'd still had my eyes closed leaning back, I would have been in shock and mm. um, I would have gone, oh, gosh, what's this baby doing here? But um, You're not meant to be here yet. <laughs> no. Did they ask you to leave earlier um, because of what was going on or were they quite, like, content with you guys staying for as long as you needed? No, it was it was very much up to us and they, they were never going to compromise our care or what we needed to get us out of hospital sooner. You know, even something like if you were having trouble latching, they would just be like, stay. And that's what's going on at the moment in the current climate of corona. I had asked my obstetrician what his advice was and he said, look, get out as quickly as you can if you feel comfortable. But I'd said to Ned, I'm going to stay as long as I need to. If she's having latching problems or if I don't feel comfortable, I'm I'm staying. For me, I'm bonding with her properly, establishing feeding and having this more risk of being in hospital trumps going high. I actually stayed just under 48 hours, so if the corona thing hadn't been around, I think it might have stayed another night. Um, there were a bunch of motivations to get home this time and that were different to last time and that was I had a beautiful little toddler at home I wanted to see who couldn't come up and visit, obviously. Yeah, how was that, him not being able to visit you in hospital? It was okay. It was, it was it was probably better for him to meet the baby at home in his own space, but, mm. like, for selfish reasons, I, I didn't like it. I wanted to see him. I missed him. Mm. Um, there's something about meeting a baby in a hospital room too that's very different to meeting a baby in someone's lounge room. Yeah. And it's that, like, I don't, a hospital space is a very one-directional space. They're set up like that for a reason. And someone walks into the room and they look at the person in the bed and that's where the energy and attention goes. And um, 
it's very hard to talk about like trivialities of life when you go into that room and meet yeah. a newborn baby and it's you know it feels like that sacred protected space whereas when I've had and she's only been met by two family members um I don't know the magic was kind of taken out of it a little bit when she met um my mum for example we we put the baby on on her lap and you know she was trying to be in the moment and it was a beautiful moment and she'll probably tell you it was one of the best moments of her life but you know at, at that time something distracted us and it was something about oh the dishwasher stopped or the toddler brought something into the room all these things that just wouldn't have distracted us if we were at hospital with what's going on in the world it feels a bit selfish to say I feel a bit robbed of some of those early special moments also Ned's parents haven't met her yet and they have said that you know everyone's appetite for risk is very different mm. and that depends on your age group and mm-hmm. you know your comorbidities and illnesses as an individual and they have decided that they are staying um, isolated until this is all over and her not meeting her grandparents for six months is not a tragedy but it's a it's a relative sadness that yeah. I'm allowing myself to feel all you can feel is what is relative to you though having your second child is a massive thing in your life so if you feel yeah. you know emotions because of that you're 100% allowed to feel them yeah, it is. It's definitely sad little bits. Um, but a friend of mine put it so well. She said to me, Emmy, there couldn't be a better time to have a newborn baby. You, you're going to be inside nesting anyway. I agree. You don't have people annoying you trying to visit. You don't have, you know, there was all these positives she pointed out. So I think, you know, your reality is whatever you create for yourself. And it, it would be really important to be quite strict about you know, mm. the, the way you think about it if you yeah. know that you're someone who will get down, as I'm sure all mum's will sometime at some point thinking this is not fair it wasn't supposed to go like this I'm supposed to be able to go for coffee with my mummy friends and you know I have relatives come over and cuddle and and all those things but it'll just be so much more amazing when we actually can do those things again why not it'll just be absolutely you know a hug will never feel as good and, oh. and meeting up with friends will just they'll be dancing in the streets it's kind of feeling um, mm. so I'm looking forward to that but um in terms of who we decided could visit her that was something else a lot of people have asked me mm. Um, and again, it it really just depends on a, a, a number of things, I suppose. There's laws now, so it depends on <laughs> on you've got to follow the law. Uh, but also for us, I asked my mum to quarantine herself for two weeks before we delivered, mm-hmm. so I knew that I had access to her. And then we decided, like I had decided, that community transmission rates were so low that I felt comfortable with my dad meeting and cuddling her. However, my dad did not feel comfortable with that. He, he was still working. He works in a hospital and he decided he wanted to meet her through glass window on our balcony. So that's what he did. And um, and then we've had no other no other visitors at the moment. But And I pulled Alfie out of kindy two weeks before she was born as well. What ways do you think that family and friends can help during this time if they can't physically be there for you? Little things that brighten a day, packages in the mail, flower deliveries, so many great food delivery services. Um, Those things all really help. But checking in and even, you know, texting saying when is a good time to call or if you call them and they don't pick up, it it doesn't mean anything other than they had vomit on them or it wasn't a great time to answer, so try again later or text and make a phone date time Um, and, you know, put it in your calendar. 
I think the number one thing is to try your hardest to stay connected. It's so easy when you're tired and busy to just, uh, you know, put that down the list of priorities. But I think, you know, when you finish a phone call with a friend or FaceTime call or whatever with the family, you realise it does really put a pep in your step afterwards. Sure, you might get a bit of sadness that you can't see them face to face, but it's definitely something that, yeah, the dishes can wait to have a phone call with someone. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your new life to have a chat with us and speak about these new things. And Coco was very, very well behaved. Mm. Yeah, she's showing off. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting a bit rowdy in the hallway. I can hear Alfie getting his motorbike We'll let you out, go. So, um, yeah, we'll let you go. We appreciate it though. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was so lovely talking to you both. And I, I love the podcast and I love what you guys are doing. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.